Today's guest on the Professional Amateur Podcast is Holly Hamill, a psychic medium life coach who explores a lot of different facets of life and brings everything to a higher vibration, but it's not all love and light. It's a little shadowy, and she does approach a lot of things from the modern mind of psychology, uh, but it all ties together beautifully uh, from her beginnings as a doula to listening to that inner voice that led to her first download and beyond. You know, she has a number of different programs available for a multitude of different areas of life. Uh, she, has, she also has a upcoming program on shadow work based on Carolyn Elliott's uh, ex existential kink uh, and is working on a book that approaches codependency from a different angle, you know, a, a different light to help people understand it a little better and be able to digest it a little easier. You can find out more about what she does, who she is, and how to contact her by checking out her link tree in the show description. And now, Holly Hammer. I will uh, start it off like this. Holly, I uh, want to say that starting a podcast has never felt so... Uh, fluid and so flowing before amazing, amazing. Well, I know that you're going to be successful you've got such a great voice for it and I know this is going to be um an amazing project for you I'm just really <laughs> excited to get to be part of the the beta stages of it and um yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I um and uh I, I will say this you know I in the last year uh this podcast has gone from an idea and has morphed into something completely different. And I'm, I'm really happy that it has because now I get to talk to people like you. <laughs> Amazing. Will you tell me a little bit about like what the, the history is and what the, um, sure. intention, what your intention has been and what it's turned into? Sure. Uh, you know, it, it, it's funny because the whole idea behind the professional amateur podcast was a look into the inner workings of everyone that had this drive to do something different. Um, that little niggle that pulled them to do what they were called to do, whether it was be a musician, an artist, maybe they were really into collecting something or programming and they went, were going down one path and decided to take the fork in the road. Um, and I wanted to hear the story of those passions. So I started reaching out to people I knew um, because I've been gifted in life and I have a lot of friends that do a lot of interesting things. So it started with that route. And what I was finding out was not just people that are passionate and are doing these great things with their lives. I had friends that were doing really fun things with their lives that maybe it wasn't a career. Maybe it wasn't even a side hustle. They just fell in love with it. And to hear that kind of passion and that kind of love for something and the story of how they got there, I was hooked. So that's what this podcast has morphed into, is connecting with people that have 
found these things in life that have found their calling, found their passion, found that little tiny project that most people might not even know about them. They might be, you know, they might be a lawyer, you know, nine to five, and then they go home and you find out they like carve wood for a living and they have these wonderful carvings that they don't sell them, they don't do anything, but they are invested in it. So that is at its core what the professional amateur podcast you know uh, started out is and where it's going and I, I i'm happy to bring on everyone to talk about what they love amazing i love that i love this um concept of getting to see like a more intimate look at um more than just like what's on the surface of someone's you know might be their career because like we contain multitudes and so there's so many different um expressions and passions inside each of us it's just really nice to have a platform to uh share those with people that might or might not get to see those on a regular basis yeah and, and it's um i i even came out the whole moniker of the professional amateur because people are like well why do you have that amateur thing in there and a lot of people forget that when you're an amateur at something you're thirst for the knowledge and expanding and, and becoming better at that one thing exceeds people that have been doing it for years and years because your drive as an amateur is to become better at it always. So the fact that I'm a professional amateur is that I love doing these things and I always have that thirst for knowledge, but I happen to be paid for it. Like for me with pet photography, it's a passion. It's a huge passion of mine. I love working with animals and I love for, you know, photographing them, but I also get paid for it. <laughs> so it's like, I'm a professional, but I'm always trying to get better, learn more and do so many things. So, but let's turn this a little. So Holly, tell me a little bit about your passion in life. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many. I have so many. But um, recently, I've been really leaning into um, serving in a way that is, um, you know, I feel like it's my true calling. And um, <clears throat> when I was um, right before the pandemic hit, I was invited to a Tony Robbins conference. And um, I'd always been interested. I've always felt like uh, one of my Callings was to be like an inspirational speaker and to help people to feel um, motivated and inspired and to to encourage people to believe in themselves and to to do their part to make the world a better place and to um, you know to grow themselves as well. And I ended up going to this Tony Robbins conference just in my own um, you know desire to just see a motivational speaker. And I thought I was going to go there. And, um, my, my current business at the time was, um, uh, I have a postpartum doula agency, honeysuckle doulas, and, uh, it's based in Atlanta right now, but I've also had, um, done it in Orlando when I was there as well. And, um, so I thought that I was going to go there. I've been doing that for like, I've been doing it for 18 years now. And I think it was like 16 years then. <clears throat> and I thought I was going to be like, getting more motivated on how to get some like streamlined strategies or maybe, um, you know, figure out how to have a rekindling of my passion for marketing that or something. <laughs> but, um, and so in the Tony Robbins conferences, they, um, take us through all these meditations about like, you know, what our dreams are and what our, um, 
you know, our calling, our purpose, and we do all this visualization and things like that. And I went with a group of friends. It was a really fun, fun adventure. And all of my friends were sharing things about, you know, like maybe I might need to leave my husband or maybe I need to do like a real estate thing or like, this is what I want to do. You know, one friend was like, um, in her late thirties, she was like 38, 39 and she decided she wanted to have a baby. And, um, you know, there's like a lot of like, um, <clears throat> really profound things were happening. And, uh, but a lot of them were, you know, kind of on this dimension, you know, like things with about relationships, things about family, things about, um, their career that they were working on here and all of the visualizations and things that were coming in for me were so, um, like esoteric and like ethereal. Like there was all, I was just seeing stuff that was like out in the cosmos. It had nothing to do with, you know, my spreadsheets or my quarterly reports, <laughs> or my, you know, my marketing and my little doula business and things like that. It was like out there, like <clears throat> there was like, like metaphysical stuff coming in and it was just so, so wild and it just felt so profound and so big. And when I was comparing notes, um, with all of my friends I was there with and the other people that we interact with in our groups there, um, it was, it was just really kind of standing out and, um, in a way that I couldn't really, um, didn't really know what to, what to make of it at that time. And, but I just knew that it felt really good. And I knew that I, you know, there was something special going on and I was receiving some, <clears throat> some big, just big information, big downloads were just yeah. coming in. And so, um, I was so like moved and just like excited by like what was happening and like really enjoying the fact that I was finally getting into this, you know, motivational speaker like world, um, even as an attendee that I ended up getting a different, um, I got a, a, a following package with, um, Tony Robbins when I went to this thing called date with destiny. And, um, it was actually there that I met Kit Volcano, um, and Jamie Skagan and like a couple people that are, uh, you know, ended up being players in my, my next stepping stones to, uh, coaching and things like that. Um, but the big downloads continued to come. And what I realized was that I was being called to step into, um, my, my talent as a, um, like not only a motivational speaker, uh, I guess, spiritual guide, but, um, also to use my, my psychic medium skills. And honestly, I didn't even know that the mediumship was there, um, at that stage, but basically the, the message was that I was, that I could receive messages from source and that I was supposed to use those to, to help make the world a better place. And so that felt crazy. Okay. So like, I'm like, Oh, Okay. Like I, you know, I was really thinking like still kind of somewhat in the, the idea that I was going to be getting some marketing tips for, you know, <laughs> are you sure? Like, this is really, this is really what's coming in. But, um, but it just got louder and more, you know, insistent and, um, you know, and it's, it's interesting because when I, I say insistent, but it was more like, it was more like an invitation. It was, it, you know, I do believe in free will and I feel like it was a, it was a calling, but I also got the sense that I'm free to, um, say no, thank you to that. Um, but also there was this feeling of, you know, in my subconscious, my, my personal, um, feeling that what a wasted opportunity that would be for me to say, no, thank you to an invitation like this. And, um, it, it felt, uh, it just didn't feel aligned for me to say no. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so I really couldn't fathom, like, how would I get from the place of, 
you know, having a doula agency, which was awesome and like really fulfilling in a lot of ways, you know, taking care of um, new families and babies, such a precious time in life, transitions, things like that, um, to doing something like, like Abraham Hicks does, for instance, you know, being able to like receive messages and, you know, share teachings and things like that. And so um, it seemed like a really big jump and I had no idea how something like that would happen, but I just kept taking each next step. And so that led me to learning how to do, um, life coaching and, you know, I did a lot of like personal work on myself during that time with, um, um, you know, all of the programs that I've joined and certifications and things like that. And I, I had a lot of things that needed to, you know, really be like firmed and tightened up in me in order to fully receive, you know, like boundaries, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was part of, uh, you know, my, my, my philosophy is that, you know, if you don't have boundaries on this dimension, like maybe don't open yourself up to like <laughs> other dimensions until you're, yeah. until you're yeah. ready to see it, you know? And so that was, and that was something that had been keeping, keeping things at bay for a long time. Um, so, so where do you, you want to go from here? Well, you know, it, it's funny because you, talk about a, an opportunity to, you know, go to a Tony Robbins <laughs> seminar person, first of all, is it's always like a, uh, for, for me, I, I'm a, a, you know, my wife, Nina, who, you know, and I, we're looking to do a, get to a Joe Dispenza, mm-hmm. uh, retreat. Like that's, yeah. that's like our, our goal, but I know like for the longest time, uh, Tony Robbins was like the pinnacle. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. the '80s. Like I've always, you know, seen him and looked up to him. And it's yeah, really I, I always love hearing him speak. Always love seeing everything he does, and the fact that you know it was like a almost like a catalyst to to open you up to get to where you could start getting these downloads. Which yeah, it, that's a, a beautiful thing. And you know, it, it what I notice is when you go through dramatic changes like this and you start realizing that there are a lot of uh, there is a lot of work to do in here inside first before you could really let all that in because you might be getting pieces of it and that's great but if you're not right here it can cause some problems (laughs) but uh so you started this journey of first healing the self and then opening up and fully receiving, you know, the interdimensional, this energy just coming from, from everywhere. Um, what I want to know is when that, when you got, I, I'm going to stop myself for a second because you get to that point, but you're always working on that. It's cause that's always a constant thing. But when you first got to the point where you're like, I, I have my boundaries set. I know where I am. I know what I'm doing. What was your first step of saying, how do I get this message out there? Uh, I'm still kind of on the learning curve of, I know what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel like that's always going to be, you know, kind of on the edge of that, the same, you know, in the same way that you call yourself the professional amateur, like I'm Mm -hmm. still like, I'm always a beginner, you know, and, um, and that's how I feel like I can, you know, be the the most clear channel to and like really, you know, make sure that I'm not bringing any of my own material into it. But, um, uh, I mean, it was a really long journey, you know, there was a lot of fear, you know, the, one of the first things was like, um, the, the feeling of, 
well, I'm clairaudient, like is my, is my main, um, my main transmission. So I hear, um, mm. I hear messages and things like that. I hear music, I hear, um, things and I, you know, I can, I have other ones like, you know, uh, clairvoyance and, um, I can, you know, claircognizance, clairsentience, I can feel and like just know things too, but like clairaudience is my, my biggest, um, uh, the one that comes the most naturally. And so, um, you know, and I remember like I had, I could hear like angels speaking to me when I was a little girl. I remember having some, you know, difficult moments in childhood, like we all had. And, um, just hearing like angelic guidance. I was like, I think I would, like, I think I remember hearing it from like the time that I was like, even just beginning to be verbal, um, like two and a half, three. Um, I had a very like active imaginary friend that my mom had to, you know, put a place at the table for and things like that. And so, um, but that, that entity was, was real to me. And I, you know, I believe that that's when children have imaginary friends, they are like these spiritual guides or guardian angels, you can call them whatever you want. But I had angelic guidance that I remembered from when I was young. And then along my journey, I, um, you know, I was always a very like godly child. I always, you know, have believed in, you know, the higher power, the, you know, infinite incorruptible source is the word that I use now because the word God is so triggering for people. But, um, but you know, what it is, is this, this other, the source, like the creator, like whatever we came from and like people can believe whatever it is that they want. Um, and that's okay. Uh, but there, you know, most, a a lot of people do have this like idea that there was something that started it. So whatever, we'll leave it there. But, um, (laughs) but uh, so, so I've always just had this like devotion to whatever this, you know, infinite incorruptible source is God, you know, to me at that time in my life, I've always felt devoted and always wanted to be, um, devout in certain ways. And so, um, when I, you know, I was raised in the church and, uh, there was a lot of religious pressure in my family growing up. My grandfather was a Roman Catholic first generation born in the States from Sicily. And my grandmother was a uh, deep South Southern Baptist. Oh, um, wow. Also, my grandmother um, and her whole lineage um, is psychic. And uh, and so I knew that my grandmother was psychic growing up, but there wasn't a lot of conversation around it. It would be kind of like undertones and things yeah. there would be like, subcon- like there would be like little comments here and there that I, that I knew what they were meaning, but people didn't ever have like a real like flat out conversation about it, or at least not with me um, as a child. And so what I started noticing was that um, you know, I just really, I wanted to be a good girl, you know, I wanted to be a good little Christian girl. And then like, you know, the more that I read the Bible and studied, I was like, Oh, it says not to be psychic in the Bible. Like this is, that's bad, you know? And so I was like, okay, I'm feeling a little conflicted. And then when I got older, I started realizing that, you know, people who hear voices are crazy and things like that. So I like, well, I don't want to be that, you know, so I pretty much like shut it down. Um, yeah. I was just like, I don't, I don't see anything. I don't hear anything like la la la. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then of course there was, there was a couple times that there were some things that were like a little bit scary that I would sense in a room or something. And I was just like, I don't want like, nope, I don't want anything to do with this. Like just shut it down. La 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 la. You know? And I just, I just wasn't mature and I wasn't really given like tools to know how to like work with it at that age, because I think because of the religious pressure and whatever was going on. Um, and it's been really funny because since I've been doing this work and really, you know, stepping into this, I've had more conversations about this with my family members from that lineage. And, and there are so many of them that are psychic that are like, I do this too. And like all this stuff. And like, they've just been kind of closeted, I guess. Or something. It's so funny, the deep South, you know? Um, but uh, so that's been exciting to like realize how many 
people have been doing this all along. I wish I, I wish somebody would have like sat me down and like had like a good conversation with me about how to like manage it when I was young, but say la vie, we're here now. Exactly. Um, you know, to, to go to a point about that, about, especially with religion, like I grew up in Roman Catholic house, uh, you know, my, my uh, mother's side, same thing, my mother's side, um, definitely a lot of psychic ability down that whole lineage. And that's, that was the Italian side going back to Italy and, and what I found funny is it was never talked about, but it was always known. Like mm-hmm. we always knew, like, mm-hmm. but no one ever talked about it. And there was that pressure of you have to go, you have to go, you know, th- through confirmation. You have to do all that, no matter what, because you're you're growing up Roman Catholic. And then the decision was once you're done with that, then you can choose to do whatever, whatever, and that was like the point of my life where I was like, well, I don't believe any of this because I just shut it all down. Right. And I was like, Oh, I'm an atheist. Mm-hmm. And I stayed that way until, I mean, uh, until I was 40 <laughs> and, and that a, different a uh, now it's more agnostic. Cause I know there's, there's definitely something. Right. And I believe that something, there's something greater out there. Um, and I, understand a lot of the religions now and how a lot of stories intertwine and i'm like there's it's not by chance this is this this like you know they weren't like copying I'm like hey what did you write for chapter three yeah i'm gonna use a little bit of that and it was just the stories are all matching up and it's like okay there's something bigger out there so i'm with you and wishing that at the time, yeah, it would have been great to have somebody to sit you down and be like, guess what? Don't don't let all that get in your head and make you block things off or discredit these things. And, and like this is let's lay it out to how we know it now. But I also agree with your sentiment. I'm, I don't think we were ready for it then. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe, you know, maybe something did happen. Like, I definitely felt like a big, like, timeline jump, like something shifted, a paradigm shifted, like, during the pandemic. I mean, it shut down the entire world, you know, and Mm -hmm. it was like, it changed things, you know, like, we're not, we're not the same anymore. It felt like we, like, jumped a timeline or did did something, you know, so maybe that, you know, and that I started doing, like, all of this um, stuff started really shifting for me big, like, November 2019 and then December was when I went to the the second Tony Robbins thing and then I started uh you know coaching with volcanoes and um uh January February of 2020 and then everything was shut down by March you know so it was like a huge like oh my gosh hang on you know (laughs) not going wild ride and I think you're right it was kind of like a a a huge shift at, at that point because what I found, and even with Nina, while we were just discovering all this, and, and the last year has been like the the biggest changes. Like it, it just it culminated to a point where it got to like, oh, okay, this was in here the whole time, right? And now like those walls are gone, and now I can actually feel it and be a part of it, and it's completely. It completely changed everything. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's like we're in a new Aeon. Like everything is just like, feels like different and upgraded. And, um, you know, there's, you know, there's a, a lot of people that I felt like kind of, um, and one of my <clears throat> teachers said this to me too, that they were kind of using this like timeline jump this time during COVID and the, 
shut down and things like that to kind of like, like a treat it like a bus stop to be like, okay, I'm going to get off here. Thank you. You know? And so there was a lot of, a lot of death. And, um, as, as hard as that was, like my, you know, one of my teachers just said, that's, that's just part of the, when we do these timeline jumps that people are sometimes like, okay, I'll stop here. You know, I didn't, I didn't agree to, you know, do the next part. I'm just going to, I'm going to, you know, politely jump off here and be next time around. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I I think, you know, a, a lot of people followed suit. Uh, because, um, I, I, I know when we got to the point where, where I got to a point where, especially where it was okay to be vulnerable and mm-hmm. was okay to be open and mm-hmm. to actually feel feelings. Cause uh, as a man, mm-hmm. I'm, I grew up in a society where you're not allowed to feel feelings it's, yeah. and that, that was a bad thing. You, you, you have to suck it up and, and right. be a man. Yep. Yeah. Which, um, Boy, uh, therapy undid a lot of that, thankfully. Um, <laughs> yeah. and it's, so it's, it's everybody's job too. like, thank you for even bringing this up. I have such a passion about, you know, healing, you know, having healthy masculinity because it's like, it's mm-hmm. everyone's job. It's not just the men's job. You know, it's the mother's job. It's the, you know, the wife's job. It's like, it's all, it's a cultural, you know, uh, situation. Like we all contributed to it and we all have to be part of contributing to, to healing it. And, uh, you know, I have a, I have an 18 year old son. He's almost 18. So like, this is, you know, the, um, healthy masculinity has been a huge, um, uh, interest of mine and wanting to, you know, make sure that he's, he's prepared in a different way than, than, um, men in the past were prepared. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of, there's a a little bullet point that I wrote down and something I've actually taken part of, um, because I, I have a shaman that I went through and did a lot of, a lot of healing, Mm -hmm. um, past trauma, and, you know, it, it struck me because you were like, oh, I, you know, ancestral healing and, and anyone would hear that and be like, I don't know what, what, <laughs> but, <laughs> but give a little insight into what ancestral healing is, because I, I try to explain it and I'm just like, guess what? It, it's just, you'd be surprised <laughs> of how well, um, going back and, and doing this can create space for you to grow as a, just as a person. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's, you know, it's, it's got a lot of different layers. It's a, you know, my, my approach is kind of holistic to like, um, ancestral healing. Um, I've got a funny little catchphrase that, um, that I like to joke around with. It's, uh, uh, we got two choices in this life and you have to pick one. There's no like in between, like one or the other you get to choose, but you got to pick one. You either go back and heal your ancestral trauma or drama llama. <laughs> and, and some people, and it's really funny because like sometimes I'll be like at a, you know, Burning Man event or like something like with, um, you know, people that I can just go up and ask them that question. You know? <laughs> and it's really funny because some people will um, say like, oh, definitely I want to heal my ancestral trauma. And some people are like, I'm down for the drama llama. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. I see that happening in your life, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, free will, we get to choose. Um, and, uh, yeah. And it's super funny, um, the way that people respond to that question. So, uh, that's been fun, but to, you know, on a more serious note, um, what I believe is that, you know, and everyone is free to, uh, you know, take this from your head to your heart or dismiss it completely, you know, make it, make it, uh, filter it for what's real for you. But I believe that when we go back and we look at our actual ancestral trauma, um, not only in our family lineage, but also in the Akashic records, um, uh, you know, lifetimes that we may have had in the past, if you believe in reincarnation, I do. Um, and um, looking at 
the things that, um, you know, our families have done for in the name of God or in the name of, you know, love or, or country or religion or like whatever, you know, um, you know, tradition, things like that. And I think it's really important to, um, to go back and look at some of those things because it is in our DNA. We have, you know, even, um, like in you know studying evolution in college, I was a biology pre-med major in college and like even studying evolution, like we learned that the, um, there are like memories and experiences that get passed along in the DNA. And, um, and it's silly to think that we don't have some of that, you know, trauma coming down, but also the gifts and the beauty and things like that too. But like, we have, everything is like stored in the DNA. Like our DNA is like a, um, it's like a server, you know, it's like a, it's a, uh, recording device, you know, and then we, you know, pass it along in generations. And so, you know, this is probably speaking your language because I see all your, <laughs> all your <laughs> and things like that, but it's like that, you know, and like each, with each, you know, um, incarnation generation, you know, it's, it's changed slightly, but like, we still have some of that, like original, like analog data coming down, you know, mm -hmm. there's still, there's still some of that, you know, scratchy record coming through from the phonograph, you know, from <laughs> great grandpa Cecil or whatever. So, <laughs> so, so for me personally, to take it, you know, more to like a, you know, practical note, um, there was a, you know, there was coming from, I'm just speaking of my maternal lineage, um, with my grandfather being you know, Roman Catholic, first generation born in Sicily, and then my grandmother being, you know, from the deep south and, um, uh, you know, that lineage of Southern Baptist and, you know, psychics, like what is happening there. Um, and then uh, we also, um, you know, my, my grandfather was born in like 1926 and then my, my, uh, grandmother's family had been in America for much longer, um, like since colonial times, I suppose. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that went down, a lot of stuff went down and, um, just kind of realizing that, um, just some really, some really like deep, deep, like shame stuff around like slavery, for instance. Mm. Um, I recently had a, I'm, I'm just going to be really vulnerable here because I feel there's part of me that's like, ah, um, but, uh, I'm just going to be vulnerable because, you know, there's power and vulnerability, but, mm -hmm. um, my, my family, um, on that side was, they were slave owners and in, in the deep South. And I realized that I was carrying a lot of shame, um, with that, that was keeping me, um, in some scarcity mindset around like money and abundance, for instance, like mm -hmm. there was what it was just recently got uncovered that deep in my DNA, um, I had this fear that, um, that if I were to be abundant, if I were to make money, that it would mean that I was taking advantage of other people. Mm -hmm. And that was like a deep rooted shadow concept. That's just not you know, that's not true that I get to transmute that in this lifetime. And so, um, that was pretty big and heavy and dark, yeah. you know? Um, and you know, but, but I'm grateful for, you know, the healers that I have in my life. I'm grateful for the shadow work and, and, you know, the ancestral healing to bring that up, to say like, let's look at this without shame. Let's shine light on it. Let's look at like what this is like, am I doing this in this lifetime? No. What do I need to do to transmute and release that, to heal that? Um, and so I've been like working with some of my, uh, uh, black friends and coaches, you know, to, to look at how we can, you know, as this new generation collaborate together and bring, bring healing in that respect. And so, um, I'm excited about where that's going. I feel really good about that. And, um, uh, you know, it's so interesting. Um, but there's a lot, there's a lot of layers there, but you know, through yeah. some of this ancestral trauma healing and shadow work that I've been doing, it's been healing my relationship with my mother. Um, and when we heal, 
things, when we go through and we heal things in ourselves, we can heal past generations too. Like it, we, of course we can heal future generations because we can break those generational curses, but we can also heal past generations because we can relieve the karma. And so the work that we do today can like, can, can save our, our ancestors too. And so, you know, it's my belief that they're rooting for us to do that. Yeah. And, uh, so, so yeah, because it was like when, when we were, um, when we transmute and we heal it, then that removes that karmic debt for them. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it it does. Um, because it, it's something that I had gone through. Like I said, I went through myself. I, I had a shaman that was work. I was working with for a while. Actually, Nina's working with her right now. Uh, I was on her podcast not that long ago. Uh, and let's go ahead and do a shout out then. He's yeah. Uh, Atusa, Atusa Raisan. Yeah. I, she is an amazing, amazing, uh, healer. She's out of Maryland, I believe. Fantastic. Um, and she's, she's a, great artist and just does amazing stuff. Um, but you know, I, through her, I started realizing that, okay, there's a unpacked trauma I had that I didn't, I wasn't aware of when I was younger. And then going back generationally, there was a lot of trauma on my father's side because, and to, just to be open and vulnerable as well. I mean, everyone's like, Oh, well, you're first generation in, in this country. What, what could have possibly happened back then? I was like, well, mm. <laughs> Germany, uh, in the forties and yeah. thirties was a problem, yeah. very problematic. Um, yeah. especially because a lot of the time there was, you know, people forced into the Nazi army. And I learned about my grandfather being an SS officer. And I was like that, I didn't know how to take that at first. It's hard to hear. Yeah. And it was like, okay, it wasn't just like he was in the army, but then like there was other stories about how he helped a lot of people. And I was like, well, that's good too. But there's, there's a hard line there of actually being in that position. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to unpack that. <laughs> um, but learning about that and going back and doing the work to understand it and then to kind of almost like uh, alleviate myself of that burden and release it like what happened was positives that were happening to my father that he didn't understand same thing with my mother you know they're in their late 70s and they were telling me about positives that were happening when I was releasing all these traumas that were happening with their parents and grandparents through work with, you know, uh, with, uh, you know, past life and past, uh, generational, uh, trauma. And then also with, uh, you know, emotion code, uh, release from, uh, emotion code work, like all this stuff was starting to release all these things. And I felt amazing and then when they were feeling amazing because of the work i was doing with their parents and their grandparents it made you go oh yeah th this is like ancestral healing is not just a thing it's like it's it's something that a lot of people will dismiss uh, which they can but give it a shot be open yeah. just if you're just open to it and you, you give it a shot, you'd be surprised the results because it's not even just for you, but everyone in your family, like 
it affects everyone. <laughs> right. It's it's a funny thing too because it's like you don't you don't always realize it. Like and you know there's these stories that are passed on generation to generation. Like we are, you know, the Glazers. This is what we believe in. You know, and then it like comes down and it's like and it's you know, it, you have to decide like, well, is this my story? You know, do I believe this? And like, and because it like deeply is ingrained, not only in our, um, you know, DNA, but also just in our programming, you know, just our childhood programming. And sometimes we have to say like, okay, well, wait a second. Do, do, is that really like what I want? Do I want to like edit this, you know, and it's, um, you know, or like, what are the great parts that I want to, um, highlight from this and like, you know, carry on. I want to send, on to generations that I may influence, whether you have kids or not, like you influence, you know, generations by your work and your presence in this lifetime, people's lives that you touch. And, um, <clears throat> so, you know, it's, it's important to like, look at those stories. So, so those things can go back a, a long way, but then there's also, when I say I look at it in a holistic standpoint, um, another thing that has been a major, um, breaking of a generational curse is doing epigenetics. Mm. Um, are you familiar with epigenetics? Yeah, but go ahead and, and explain. Yeah, yeah. So basically, like the, the concept that you know we can carry these you know genes for uh, potential diseases, but in, um, sometimes they may or may not turn on based on environmental factors. Okay, so um, you know, so I carry you know some things that you know my grandfather ended up having afflictions with, um, and those are in my DNA according to my you know genomic analysis and things like that. But if I make changes now um, and change my environment, make sure that I um, you know, I'm treating this vessel in certain ways and controlling my environment to, you know, the best of my ability, taking the right supplements that are bioavailable to me, avoiding certain foods and things that I'm allergic to, um, then I can um, set myself up for more success that might mean not having those diseases turn on later in life. Um, and it's, it's huge because even, you know, at, in my mid forties now, um, having done the um, epigenetic uh, work with, I have an epigenetic coach too. And like having done the genomic analysis, she gave me like a 45 page manual on this exact model, like how much sunlight I need, how much caffeine is good for me or not good for me. Like, and, uh, it turns out there's a lot of vitamins that I was taking that, or, you know, there's, I have to have vitamins in a certain molecular formula for them to be bioavailable to me. And so like, even though I was taking like very like nice, fancy, expensive vitamins for most of my life, I, they weren't, help. I was still like getting, um, just because they weren't bioavailable yeah. to my genetics. And so, um, and then the genetics that I have, like 40% of the population has it. And so, um, I learned so much from that. And so, you know, my son has celiac, I have celiac and, um, but I've been able to heal my, my body and take the right vitamins so that like any like mental health, you know, challenges that I had in the past, like, uh, things with like my, like homeostasis, my, my moon cycles, um, uh, just my immune system, just feeling healthy. Like I feel so much healthier than I've ever felt when I was younger mm. because yeah. I'm, I'm avoiding folic acid, for instance, cause I can't process it. Like I have to have methylated folate cause that's the natural version of it. And folic acid, by the way, let me just say a little health plug here real quick. That's something that was invented during the um, industrial revolution. And, um, it's in most like grains and, um, cereals and rice and things like that. Anything that says fortified, it's usually mm. with folic acid and, uh, anyway, I won't go too, too off on a tangent, but there's a lot of issues that are related, you know, to the MTHFR gene that I have the variant and 
with folic acid. And so some of the diseases that started to become prevalent during the industrial revolution that we're just now kind of really taking note of, like autism, things like that can be related to the combination of having this, this genomic or the, this genetic variant and then adding folic acid to it, which is toxic. So I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here like looking at all of these different maladies that it's possible to, um, to avoid because of certain genetics, having the right information. So once I got all of that information about what my genetics need in order to function properly and to, to feel healthy and well and sane, um, now, I, because I have that information, even though I passed those, those genes along to my son that could be, you know, be carriers for difficult stuff. Um, I am also able to give him the information of how to, how to eat and how to take care of his body and like what supplements to take and things like that. So that, and it felt, feels like it broke a generational curse, honestly, like it was huge. That's awesome. That, that really is awesome because it, and it's, it, it is kind of crazy too, because how much stuff that was made out of necessity back in, in those times, both in the industrial, even like during like uh, World War One and Two, things that were created because it was out of necessity. Like, okay, we need this because we need to use all these for for the war effort, and then this is what's being made so the population can survive, basically. Right. And you know, here we are, you know, almost a hundred years later now, and over a hundred years, you know, with the industrial revolution. But it, we're all looking at the side effects now in that small sliver of time right like, like the, the like the um the nutrition pyramid you know like yeah. the, and and how the agricultural um uh influences at the time like the mm -hmm. agriculture department of agriculture influenced saying that we need this many grains um yeah. and i can't do grains grains mess me up you know grains were making me so sick for many many years for decades yeah. made me sick and, um, it's, and, and it's something a lot of people are just realizing now yeah. and it's and it's but the good thing is is we do have these people out here that can show us mm -hmm. <laughs> so grateful for the healers i've had in my life and i want to go back to what you said i'm i feel the same way for the first time in my entire life like i've i'm healthier now in my 40s than i've ever been like in my you know any yes. previous years yes i feel so good too like i feel amazing like let's just take a second to just celebrate how awesome like being in our 40s is. Yeah, exactly okay. first off we made it to the halfway mark so that's cool yeah i'll take it that's a win <laughs> and i feel like just more like juicy and exuberant and like healthy and hot like more than i've ever felt you know and i feel sane which is like super helpful yeah <laughs> just, like you know certain like Thing, things in my diet were making me feel crazy before. And, you know, I just feel stable and settled and I feel so good. And I feel like I have control over my life and I feel like my uh, immune system is so much better. And I just feel like I can like function in my environment better. I feel more like at home in my head and in my body than I've ever felt. And that's, yeah. you know, that is part of like healing the ancestral trauma, you know, and that is like looking at like, well, what are, what did I actually receive from this? And like, what has happened in the world, you know, that's influenced like the, you know, generations after that event or something. And so anyway, I'm just like, I'm on fire for life right now. And just yeah. really excited to, to share whatever I can with the world to make it a better place. And I feel like I have enough health and wellness to do that now. So it's good. 
Yeah, I and I not only applaud you to to go out and do that, but it when anyone gets that that feeling, it's it is life changing because I can go back to times in my life where I you would think, oh, you're in your twenties, you should be like, yeah, you're in your twenties, and I, I remember just always being like constantly in pain mm-hmm. and like sluggish and like just not doing i I just felt off always Mm -hmm. and just Mm -hmm. nothing felt right and Mm -hmm. you know 20 years later i'm like yeah i feel great i'm gonna go for like a three mile walk what my 20 year old self would be like what are you crazy like yeah no i'm just gonna go do that because i can and it feels nice to be outside for a couple you know for an hour right i love it so it's it, it is a beautiful thing and Finding, finding myself in in my forties is something that you know I'm super excited about. Like uh, I understand who I am now. Yeah, it's um, a good feeling. Thirty five was like a big turning point for me. Um, it's just kind of I don't know if you like follow astrology like with Saturn return or things like that. Are you are you familiar with that? Yeah. So yeah. So twenty eight thirty was huge. Like that was like groundbreakingly huge. Just when I had my son, it's when I became a doula. Um and then uh thirty five was huge because I was um really um you know, having a voice at that point. And mm. it was a huge turning point because I also turned 35 in 2012 when we were maybe the world was gonna end. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know, it was just end? the end of a and I you know what's funny? And I look back at that now, and that, that was like the psych. The um, it was it was in here obviously the whole time. I just didn't realize, but you know, it was just the end of a cycle, and that cycle was it was the end of something. The the 2012 for you? Yeah, it was yeah. the end. I feel like that that was something similar as to like the, you know, the pandemic or whatever. Like, I feel like there was a couple of timelines, like where we kind of like jumped things like one for me. And then in, this is just in my lifetime personally. So people can, you mm-hmm. know, figure out which, which events, you know, were more profound. But, um, <clears throat> I remember something felt like something changed, like during the challenger, um, when I was young, uh, mm-hmm. big, big time for nine 11, big yeah. time. Like I felt a shift. Um, and then like a little bit around like the Y2K stuff. I remember like there was like a little like, Ooh, you know, I just felt like a small, <laughs> a small shift then. Um, and then, you know, 2012 was like major, major changes for me. Like, I feel like, you know, yeah, we jumped timelines. Like maybe the world, maybe the world as we knew it back then did in 2012. Who knows? Yeah. I, yeah. I think I honestly, it, the, I, I even said it was like the site for me, it was the cycle of m- mediocrity finally came to an end because up to that point I had, I have a degree in graphic design, which I never, I got that degree in 2002 and I never used it. Mm. And then in 2012, I had my first job where I was using my graphic design degree, uh, where, and I started working in radio of all places. (laughs) And, and so 2012, I was like, yeah, this is great. But it was, then that I learned that I don't like graphic design at all. Like in a professional setting, it was the most stressful and frustrating thing. But what, what seed was planted as being a, uh, a digital, I was digital content director for iHeartMedia back then it was clear channel. Um, I was doing photography and videography for the stations. 
which I always loved photography, but I never actually did photography. Uh, so I started taking photos. Sorry, this is so ironic. It's so it's so funny the way that like things like I just got off the phone with um, one of my dear friends who works for that company, <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, she also uh, was involved in like helping me with. She has a, a side company, um, Divergent Perspectives, and she's one of the uh, people on my podcast, and uh, she helped me with my website and things like that. So I'm just like, this is so funny. So carry on. Sorry, it was just like synchronicities. Yeah, it, but it, it's every, everything's connected, as, mm-hmm. as we always say. But um, I, I, I started laughing just because I was like, well, you know, photography is kind of interesting. And, and I remember going to Nina, I was like, I want to get a like an actual camera camera. And it was uh, 2014 and she had gotten me a camera for Christmas. It was my my first actual camera. It wasn't just like a point and shoot little digital camera. It was a you know, a digital SLR. I still have it. It's the backup to my backup. <laughs> and uh, actually, it's right above uh, my shoulder here on that little stand. That's it. Which one <laughs> is it? That's a Canon T5, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's an oldie but goodie. Yeah. Um, I basically only use it now to hook up to a telescope. Uh, but uh, I remember I got that camera and I felt, I like literally felt ignited. Mm. I started taking photos of things. I was like, oh boy, like this is unlocking something in me. And it was within a year's time that I had ventured out. We had gone out to uh, uh, the Southwest and I went to the Grand Canyon and Mm. sat there around one o'clock in the morning and stared at basically the entire Milky Way galaxy and there was uh, no moon out. So it was, you could see every star and, and I just knew I was like, well, when I get back to, we were living in New Jersey at the time, I was like, I want to start a photography business. I don't know what, but I'm, this is it. So I was what, 36 at the time, 35. Um, and I literally found out what I wanted to be when I, when I grew up at 35 and that was a photographer. And Amazing. so, and, but it all started 2012. That was like the big shift, that cycle of, of things ended and I became what I was supposed to be. And, you know, I had my way of expression and, mm-hmm. and it became just a part of me. And when, you know, when we moved to Georgia, it was, something I was like, well, I could still do that. I'm going to stay away from radio and just pursue photography. And it's, it's like I said, it's had, it's had its ups and downs because being in a new area is always interesting, but the ups are, I became published. My dogs became ultra famous. (laughs) (laughs) They were famous. I love them so much. So, so just for the people that are listening at home, I have to say like, um, so I was following, um, the Glazers, uh, pug, uh, Instagram channel of Filipino, the pug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I've been following that for a while because I love pugs. And, um, so I had been following that for probably a year or two and just, you know, enthusiastically enjoying their content. And then we end up meeting in the same like coaching circles. It was so wild. And then we find <laughs> out that we, um, we live like 20 minutes apart. So, 
<laughs> we're like at the same place in Georgia pretty much. Just it's absolutely wild. So uh, that was super exciting little synchronicities. You know, they just kind of keep happening. That's that's what life is great at is showing us that everything is connected. We are all connected, and you know those pugs. Uh, I because of those pugs, I, I've made so many connections in life Sweet. with with interesting people, and like I've made friendships with with a lot of like people that I would I would have never have met. I would have never have even thought of like connecting with just because of, of pugs. So I uh, I am. I always look back and I see the, the path that I've been on is the right path and I know it because I feel it, <laughs> but yeah. you know, there, there's times when I first started out as a photographer, I had no idea what I was doing because I was a, I was a commercial photographer. I did like real estate and architectural photography, which was so boring, <laughs> but it was photography. So I thought, Hey, I'm getting paid to do what I love. Even though if I don't really enjoy it, I love photography. It's like, I don't enjoy staring at buildings that some guy just built and it's just a generic building, <laughs> but you know, it, it was my foot in the door of, of finding what I truly love. So, but, um, you know, I, I have, you know, I, I was looking up a lot of the stuff you do because you have, just like most of us these days, you have a plethora of um, of things that you are into doing and sharing with the world. And I, I kept underlining it and going back to it. So explain to me what existential kink is. <laughs> That's been like all my, like my latest craze lately. I just, I love it so much. It's, um, basically it's based on the work of Carl Jung. So he was kind of the, the, um, uh, person that came after, um, Freud, Freud and my, yeah. in my opinion, um, did it better and less perverted. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, Freud is just like, had such a specific, like, you know, set of, Room, yeah, everyone room, right? wanted to have sex with not, their mother. With never, friends, not everybody so. wants to do that, you know. Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> I, I get it, you know. It's you know he, he contributed a lot, but like uh, um, Carl Jung came after him and kind of had like stuff that I feel like is a little more accessible and less less quirky, um, and it just it just kind of like is more powerful for me. So um, Carolyn Elliott wrote the book Existential Kink, and she's just a very colorful, um, incredible, prolific writer, speaker, just very interesting, just, um, just an interesting person. She studied a lot of, uh, mythology and culture. I think she has a PhD in cultural studies and writing or something. I, don't quote me on that, but, um, <laughs> anyway, she's fascinating. She's absolutely fascinating. And, um, so she basically wrote this book based on the concepts of Carl Jung and that the, um, that when we do this shadow work, that it's, it's a part of us and in order to really fully integrate it so that it's not running our lives, um, and we're calling it fate, you know, that we're actually, there's this part of us our, our shadow, our subconscious that, um, has a lot of influence over us and we, um, don't always pay attention to it because it's in the subconscious. We're not even aware of it. And, but once we start turning more attention and light and energy towards it and, um, loving it in a shame, shameless way, um, and allowing it to exist, then it can fully integrate. And so, you know, the concept is that we are, uh, uh, 
uh, mind, body, spirit, and shadow. Not, you know, so like what existential kink has done for me lately is, um, has gotten a lot of like energy unstuck where I just kind of reached a, um, reached a plateau, a like impasse where I could only go so far with like the law of attraction, you know, the love and light philosophy. Like I just wasn't able to like fully like manifest further. Uh, I was great at manifesting, but like I just kept getting stuck and there was some stuff in my subconscious that was, you know, running the show that I did not know how to get, you know, get solved. And so, um, so existential kink is the practice of going into the subconscious and like really looking at some of the you know kinky desires that we might have or things, you know, like things that are, are that we think are, um, uh, you know, undesirable, you know, maybe shameful and things like that. But the, uh, the concept is that we are just like I said earlier, like we contain multitudes. We have so many different interests that make us who we are and we are beings all, you know, we're on a spectrum all the way from, uh, shadow to, to light and to deny that this part of us exists is missing the picture. You know, you can't be a fully integrated person without realizing like, yeah, there is parts of me that, you know, takes some, you know, delicious delight in, being put upon like, Oh, you know, victim energy, like, Oh, my damsel in distress, you know, and then I get to get saved by, you know, so there's a lot of different examples. I could share, I could share one that was a really funny one for me, if you like. Sure. Okay. So, so I realized, um, I started seeing like kind of a pattern in my dating relationships before I was with Drew where, um, I kept being in this like sugar mama, um, role or like, I would just like be paying for everything. And I'm like, I don't even like make that much money, you know, in the past. Like, I'm like, why am I like somehow like a grown ass man? Like, I don't understand what, you know, but it kept happening. And like, I kept thinking like, maybe I just need to choose different, you know? And so then like the, um, I ended up dating this one guy who had a job and was different. He was a nice guy, you know, and he's great. Um, but then like six months into the relationship, he's not working and I'm paying for things. And I'm like, okay, I'm the common denominator here. Like, this is me. This is not like all these other men. Cause I'm choosing all the different types of men from like the bad boy to like the nice guy or whatever. It's me. I was the one that was creating this like sugar mama thing or whatever. So, um, it just weird, a weird kinky thing in my subconscious that I didn't really think that I wanted, you know? So, um, uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't afford it to be completely honest. You know? So <laughs> happening. Um, but then I realized I was like, okay, well I'm the common denominator. If I want something different, I have to do something different. So when I started dating Drew, I was like white knuckling my way through, like, let him do things for himself. Don't emasculate him. Like, you know, like honestly, like creating like a sugar mama, like, cub relationship or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's, I guess some people are into that. Like no, no shame if anybody's like truly, truly into that sexually, but like, Oh no, <laughs> you know, it's not really not sexy. Like on, if I'm, you know, on a conscious level. So anyway, I, I had to like kind of white knuckle my way through that. And somehow, you know, I was able to have better boundaries and like not, you know, emasculate him and do everything for him, which is good mm-hmm. because he's actually two, tw- 12 years younger than me. So I was mm-hmm. like, really like, don't, be this way, Holly, you know, and, uh, and, and now, you know, we have an amazing, like equal relationship. He's actually the head of household. He's doing great, you know, amazing. Um, and, uh, but what I started realizing was, um, you know, there's still this part in me that's like, you know, like even, you know, we have like a little bit of openness. So like when I'm like flirting or whatever, I'll be like, you should come to my house. Sometimes I have these like vaulted ceilings. I live on a lake, you know, and I realized that I was still doing this, like kind of like weird, sugar mama vibes, you know? And I'm Mm. like, that's in me. Like, even though like I'm not actually doing that, it's still in my subconscious somewhere. 
So um, through existential kink, I've been able to like enjoy it and have fun with it and like um, transmute it so that it's not like actually running the show and I'm not like, you know, giving tons of money to men that can work, you know, like yeah. bless, bless all the men. But, um, <laughs> but uh, so, so then I, I took it a step further, um, you know, cause basically the way you do the, the existential kink exercises is through like meditation and like writing and, you know, kind of working with it on a, um, you know, more in the mental space with it. Um, and, uh, but one of my friends, one of my best friends, Steven, um, as part of a joke and like to, you know, continue this exercise in existential kink for my birthday last year, this year, <clears throat> he gave me like a stack of like fake hundred dollar bills. And so at my birthday party, um, we were like me and m one of my other girlfriends who also has this kink. <laughs> what, um, we were like, just like slipping them in everybody's like pockets and like, into like the bra, like, here you go, honey. Like, here's like, you go sweetheart. Like, why don't you go and like go to Europe? I know you've always wanted to see the world and how about you buy yourself this like certification or like go, you know, invest in yourself in this hobby. And we're just like, like greasing our friends with these like fake hundred dollar bills. They ended up like all over the house. Like it was just like decadent. Like there's like money <laughs> everywhere, you know, like tuck leaves bursting out of people's pants. <laughs> <laughs> this nonsense. And it was so much fun because we got to do it. Like we got to kind of play it out in this, in this way that is not actually causing me harm, you yeah. know, not putting me in such a financial duress, but it's still like scratch that itch. And so it's about like finding ways to do these things that, um, you know, in, in play, um, to where you check that box, that shadow box, because all of us we're here to experience everything across the board, you know, and we don't really actually want to, you know, do some of this stuff in real life because it's going to, you know, hurt us, hurt others, like whatever. And so, yeah. It's about learning how to do that in, in play and in meditation and in writing and in make-believe um, so that we you know, get a better control over it. And it has, um, we get to like check that box and have that experience and kind of scratch that itch. And two things happen. One, it'll start to integrate. And then two, like when you do it enough, it kind of loses its novelty and you're like, okay, I've done that now. Like, <laughs> it's not going to control me and my subconscious anymore. That's, that's actually a really, really good approach to to handling things like that because when you it's not that you're taking the danger well it, it is a danger because you, you could it can be dangerous. yeah it could be very dangerous a lot of these like, ex like kinky existential things can be dangerous and some of the things that people like for instance carolyn elliott what she was doing in the book she was doing this like um existential kink of like poverty of just like even though i have a phd i'm just so poor look at me i'm poor i'm poor you know and mm. he was like legit like standing outside in like a soup kitchen line or something like that when the when the 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 stroke of genius hit her like i'm getting off on this like and the concept is if you have it in your life having is evidence of wanting so there's some part of you that wants that you know mm. and so then i started another like little small example just to make it maybe more accessible to other people um i had a there, there i have a, a friend in my life that we're kind of like um taking some space right now and uh and they got upset with me because I didn't give them a personal invitation to something that really wasn't related to them at all. And then it just like made a stink over it. And I was like, the audacity. I was like, how can they like oh, the audacity? And I, and I remember just being like, who do you think you are? But then there was a part of me that like, just got like all flushed. And I was like, you know, and, and I was like, I can't wait to tell someone, you know? And it was mm -hmm. like, uh, what am I doing? <laughs> and because I've been doing like, because I have the awareness of like, you know, what is like actually going on in my subconscious. I got like all like <gasps> the audacity. And I was so like, 
you know, taken aback by it. But then I was like, this is the same feeling I have. Like when I'm turned on, I was like flushed. I was like, you know, my heart was beating fast. I was like breathing heavy. I was like, the audacity. I'm turned on by this. <laughs> and it was so funny. And then I was like, yes, let me just enjoy all the, the, you know, juicy edges of like the performance, the, you know, the grand theater of this audacity, you know? And I'm like, and it makes total sense. Cause I love like, over the top, you know, externess. I love like theater of the absurd. I love, you know, anything just like over the top, like wild theater, you know? So I was like, oh, I love this. <laughs> and, um, and so it was super fun. Cause then I got to like, let myself enjoy it rather than be offended by it. And then I was like, this is great. Um, yeah. And it really changes your perspective on things. Cause like the thing, like if it's in your life, you want it in some, you know, dark kinky way, you know? Yeah. And so like, I really started looking at like, like I was doing this like rejection thing for a while. And then I was like, Oh yeah, <laughs> reject me, reject me harder. <laughs> um, and, and then it's like, okay, well that scratched that itch. And now I'm like, I have nothing but acceptance and like invitations and like love coming in. So I just needed to scratch that itch. Sometimes you just need to get off on things that, you know, are in your subconscious. So I'm super on fire for existential kink right now. And I'm creating a program on it. Oh my God, so that's, awesome. that's going to be launching um, probably in the beginning of the year. So pay attention for, you know, new um, announcements about that. I'm really excited to uh, do a, a group. It's going to be like a group program where we you know, work through the exercises. We study it deeply. We like work together. We like witness each other. We um, just really dig in, in a very interactive, fun, delightful, sexy, uh, healing way. Um, and I'm just so excited for it because this has moved so much stuckness in my life. You know, there was things that like, I received so much coaching around and so much like, you know, manifesting and love and light and like do this, you know, streamline strategy, whatever. And it's like, nothing moved it until I did the existential kink for it. So now I'm like, I've got, I've just got so much more freedom and, um, power and sovereignty and, uh, just, I don't know, just opened up a lot of things in my life. That's that's beautiful. That really is beautiful Thanks. because when you find it, especially when you find it in that way, because I, I, I'm, I'm with you. There's a lot of, a lot of people do the, Oh yeah. Love and light. It's all this beautiful cloud, fluffy happiness. I'm just like, there's darkness. There's gotta be some darkness. And you have like, to, you have to have contrast in your life. Like if we were just yeah. here to like, we're here to do the, you know, the antagonist protagonist, game like if we if there was no contrast or no like challenge and stuff like that we might as well just stay you know being little cherubs on a cloud somewhere you know there'd be no point in coming here and playing this <laughs> wild game that we're playing you know yeah. like we're doing theater and there has like for a good story there has to be a you know a hero and a villain and a you know like a, a a plot line there has to be some kind of conflict that we have to overcome in order to whatever you know and that's and it's really just about um looking in that at those things, accepting them, integrating them. So you can have the full story. Cause like you can't, there's no story without contrast. Yeah. There's yeah no it's, and you know, it's, you, you brought up uh, Carl Jung and, and I thought about that myself and I was introduced to him at an early age only because of my love of the band tool and the song 46 and two, which is literally all, <laughs> all Jungian concepts in a song Ooh. talking about, you know, the shadow and, and all that fun stuff. And I was like, I had no idea what I was getting into. Cause that was the nineties. And I was like, ah, I, I'm just really attracted to the song, not just musically, but something about the lyrics are driving me crazy. And as I grew up, 
before, even before, uh, I would say my spiritual awakening in the last few years, I would still research these things and research, learn about things like that. And then that would, you know, pique my interest about like sacred geometry. And then I would go over here and then over there. But I, I was always unsure about like what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I love another synchronicity. I love that you brought up, um, you know, tool in the nineties and stuff. Cause I was a huge, uh, like obsessive fan of Alex Gray who does the, um, the album. Mm -hmm. art. And so, you know, all of that, you know, Oh, I, it's just so good. It's so deep. It's so like, just, I always felt, like, felt magic. super lucky with Alex Gray because yeah. I grew up in the Hudson Valley and he has, unfortunately, when he opened the the, uh, the chapel of Sacred Mirrors in, in Wappinger's Fall, that was only like 20 minutes from where I, where I grew up. Mm -hmm. um, but I, every time we go back up to like visit friends or, or anything like that, I always try to make time to mm -hmm. drive out just to see. And it's like now it's all done. I, I haven't been up since it's it's been all finished. Let's make a road trip. Yeah, it's... And, and it's it is a special place up there like uh, i grew up up obviously i, I have it's home to mm -hmm. me it, it'll always have that weird home connection mm -hmm. but like where he he has that uh the, the site where he has the the uh, chapel of sacred mirrors is, is it's beautiful and obviously you could see all him and, and allison's work there and, mm -hmm. and all of his students too the it's it's mind-blowing but yeah I, i've been an Alex Gray fan forever. Uh, I, it's actually cut off, but I have Theolog up on the oh, wall. Oh, I see it. Over. I see the corner of it. I totally recognize yeah. it. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I um, he came to Atlanta one time. I'm I'm involved in the Burning Man community too, and so he came kind of through some of those avenues, and I uh, got my book signed and everything. And yeah, he's just amazing. Uh, you bring up Burning Man. I, I want to touch a little bit on this. And you know, a lot of people go, "Oh, Burning Man," and they they think of of how, how long have you been going? To Burning Man. I went to Burning Man for the first time in 2003. So it's been so, almost 20 years. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And that's what, when I learned about Burning Man was my first year in college. Um, my professor, Dick Patterson, still alive to this day. Awesome dude. He still goes every year. <laughs> and he's in his late seventies now. And he told us about it. And my brain, you know, I was 18. Mm -hmm. So this was what, 2000 mm -hmm. and he's like, there's this thing that we do. <laughs> we go out to the desert every year. And I was like, what, what are you even talking about? <laughs> and you know, he was uh, like the editor in chief of Lowrider magazine, but he was also teaching at, at this college, um, that I went to in Tampa, which no longer exists, <laughs> but, um, he was like, yeah, I can't explain it to you with just words. And like, I wrote articles on it, but I also took photos of the last time I was there. And he brought in all the photos that he had done one year. And I still have yet to go, which really it's like a, it's a part of me. I'm just like, I need to go because every artist should go. Everyone exactly. should go at least once just to check it out. I mean, it's like the art that you see there will be, it's like, it's otherworldly. Like yeah. I, I almost kind of, we, we joke around like, is this actually made by aliens? Like some of the art there is just like, like superhuman. Like it's wild. It's absolutely wild. You have to go and you have to see it for yourself. You can't like, uh, yeah. you can't just look at pictures and you know, videos. Like you have to go and just like be in the dust yourself. Yeah, I, I, I do. And I, I know I will. Um, that that's, 
It's not a question of, of like, oh, like, oh, am I going? I will be going. When are you going? What year are you going to go? I don't know yet. But I have a feeling I'm going to be out in that area. Like, I'm going to be living in that area, I would say. In my head, I see soon. Okay. So it's could be a year, could be two, maybe three. But I feel myself being in the Southwest, and we're going to be there, and we're going to go. I better come um, and get some pug love before y'all scoot. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get some pug, pug smooches. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it while we kind of like bring things home here, you know, you have all these great things that you do, but you said you're going to have your existential kink kind of like a, almost like a workshop. <laughs> yes. It's going to be a program. Like I'll probably do like a, um, I'll probably do like an introductory thing, like a little mic master class or kind of like little, you know, uh, one-off type of experience for that people can join for free or maybe like a small donation or something. Um, just to kind of, uh, be introduced to it and see what it is. And then if they want to join the program, then it'll probably be something that launches in um, January is kind of what I'm thinking. So, and I'm really excited about it. Carolyn Elliott is really, um, uh, generous in the way that she's, uh, basically says, um, you know, take whatever work I'm doing here and run with it. Just, you know, ask people to buy the book, you know, and, uh, and I actually did join her, um, sleepover mystery school thing. So I'll be doing like four retreats with her, um, next year so it's all really exciting i'm like really immersing myself in it i think i've i think i'm on like my sixth listen uh on audible of of existential king and i have the book too and um just really immersing myself in it so that i can you know uh create the best program possible with my own with my own flavor of course you know that's pretty excited that's the best i think that's the most fun thing is when you do things and you you can tell that you did them because you're in it like you have injected yourself into it yeah what other uh projects do you have coming on right now you said podcast uh, what what's yeah what's the name of the podcast? um holly hamill hive podcast picture show so it's um it's you know similar to this and i have like for, you know it's, it's a video um podcast and i have a lot of uh uh just interesting people in my life that i was interested in like hearing more about them and so i've got um since we were talking about existential kink uh carolyn's one of her main uh lead coaches layla bernard who, and they have a podcast too but Layla was my existential kink coach and she, um, she's a guest on my podcast as well. And it's, you know, totally fangirling over her cause she's amazing. <laughs> um, and then I have like a friend who, uh, was, um, in a motorcycle accident and was in a coma for several months. And now he's like back and he's like here to tell about, tell about his experience like that. Um, and he, that was a really popular podcast of mine. I have a friend who, um, was kind of, uh, out in Paulding County kind of in the, you know, the deep, the deep, deep South of the deep South and, uh, you know, kind of his life and how he, um, you know, got into trouble and ended up in prison. But then like, once he got out, he ended up, um, creating a foundation called the grateful bread, where it's like an outreach program. And he's just the sweetest, like most loving, hilarious, like sweet hippie dude. And he like does yoga. He's like a country boy, like doing yoga. <laughs> it's just like the cutest. He's absolutely adorable and lovable. So he's on there, Corey Osborne. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got like my, my old Akashic records coach is on there. Um, uh, a woman that I met at burning man who, um, talks about like women's health and like really like reclaiming, you know, pussy power and things like that. <laughs> um, there's just a lot of like really good, juicy, fun, interesting stuff on there. Um, 
a lot of fun people. So yeah, definitely check it out. Holly Hamill Hive podcast picture show on YouTube. Right. And you know what, do you have, I, you're working on a book as well. Yeah. I've I've set myself three big goals for, um, 2023. And in addition to, um, um, you know, I've got just my, my coaching projects that have been, you know, ongoing. And so I do like mediumship, um, where I can channel a loved one that's crossed over and, you know, um, help have some closure there. Um, I do, uh, messages from psychic guides, um, or from your, from your spiritual guide. So it's a psychic message from your, you know, angelic host, your, your guardian angels, your spirit guides. Um, <clears throat> then I can also do Akashic records and I just kind of do those like as one-offs here and there for whatever people need. And then I have programs where, um, you can do life coaching with me with a twist, you know, it always has a little bit of magic in there, but a lot of it is Western evidence-based psychology that, um, that I believe in. And, um, then, uh, there's the supernova society, which is my coaching group. And, uh, we're doing a book club meeting soon. And we're, I'm going to resume woo woo Wednesdays where I have like guest speakers come on and talk about magical things. And it's just fun and entertaining. Um, let's see. And then my three big goals. So all those things are always ongoing. Um, and then my three new goals of what I'm pushing myself to do this year is the existential kink program, which we always already spoke about. I'm in the process of writing a, um, a book on codependence, um, and healing from codependency. And a lot of people don't, I don't feel like that word matches exactly what it is. I think that the people hear that word and they think like, Oh, it's somebody who's like needy on someone else. Kind of, kind of, I, for me personally, like the, the thing that I've healed from is, um, hero complex, you know? And Mm. so it's like about that, um, you know, being the savior, like helping so much that you hurt yourself. Um, you know, always like trying to, um, you know, give to others, you know, martyr, things like that. Yeah. Um, it comes in a lot of different roles, you know, like, a, and a lot of healers, helpers, teachers, people that like want to make the better the world a better place do need to be aware of what that, what codependence is. And so I'm going to be rewriting it and um, kind of putting it probably more in like hero terms and uh, making it more fun. Cause um, it can be really confronting when you have codependency. Yeah. <laughs> really confronting. Um, I remember reading the book uh, Codependent No More that was like written in the 80s by uh, Melody Beatty. And it's a wonderful, profound book and a deep look at what's, um, you know, what that looks like being, uh, you know, having hero complex, savior complex. And um, it, it changed me. It definitely like was very confronting because I was like, oh my God, that's me. Um, that was hard <laughs> here, you know, um, but I really want to try to put it into some, um, some settings to make it a uh, similar concepts, you know, p- plugging in my own stories and my own, um, you know, things that I've like helped my clients with. That's kind of my specialty if we're going to get on a real like, um, kind of like Western psychology, clinical dimension, like that codependency is my specialty. Um, and, uh, so writing about, you know, what, you know, anecdotal stuff that my, my clients have healed from with their permission and, um, kind of like breaking it down into current relevant, um, accessible terms so that, you know, the, the new generations can really like absorb it and understand it and hopefully, overcome it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, codependency is, is a, is a tough one. That was something I had to learn about because I didn't realize that I was in that role of the martyr. Mm-hmm. Always. Mm-hmm. I would put everything before me mm-hmm. because if I was helping 
whatever to succeed, then it's okay if I fail. Yeah. What would Jesus do? Yeah. <laughs> Crucify yourself for others. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Die for my sins, Stefan. Die for my sins. Yes. That's, that's, that's what I'm good at. Yep. <laughs> that, that was my, that was my role up until Thank like you. a year and a half ago. <laughs> So, I mean, that that's going to be, I, I can't wait for that. Because, I'm excited. But, I'm just going to try to make it like, you know, like it's still going to be like profound and serious and, and, and um, uh, you know, serious in the way that it's going to like get the message across and like help people and things like that. But I'm just going to deliver it in more digestible, fun bites. <laughs> it's going to yeah. be more of a, uh, you know, a cupcake party or like a wine and cheese party versus like shoving some hard truths down your throat. I mean, don't be yeah. that, you know, there's always a little, <laughs> little tough love, a little existential kink in there. But, um, but I really want to make it like more accessible and easy and fun so that people will want to read it and like, and kind of redefine like what that, that word is. Cause people don't, people hear the word codependent and they think, Oh, that's not me. Everyone's yeah. like, that's not like, that's what I, you know, a therapist mentioned it to me like years ago. And I was like, codependent. That sounds like I'm needy. I was like, that's not true. Everyone's, if anything, everyone's dependent on me. Everyone's needy on me, which is exactly what it's it is. exactly it. But I didn't read it. And, for, and for like a decade, I didn't like read it because the word didn't resonate with me. So, so yeah, yeah so I'm going to kind of like re rewrite it, redefine it. And, um, you know, it's, it's still, you know, the true concepts and I'm in the process of, uh, absorbing the uh the new codependence which is um kind of like after generations of codependency has happened and like what that looks like when it comes down the you know ancestral line mm. healing uh, that right. ancestral trauma no more drama llama up in here <laughs> so that's one and two what's what's the third thing that you, you were setting up so today? i um am going to be doing a transformational retreat like an in-person uh camping music festival event probably in uh, North Georgia or, you know, foothills of the Appalachians somewhere in this region in the Southeast. And um, <clears throat> I'll probably start small. It'll probably be like under 200 people. I just want to have something where we um, do uh, workshops and we party and we're out under the moonlight and having some bonfires and we have a good time, you know, but the workshops and the learning are the main focus. And then we also yeah. like to, you know, get down and dance under the stars. So. Oh yeah. You gotta have that. <laughs> I mean, I want that. Um, but you know, like, uh, I've, I've done a lot of, um, leadership in the Burning Man community. Like once I, um, I went in 2003 for the first time and then, um, and then I went the following year. And then after that I was pregnant. And so I took eight years off from, you know, that lifestyle and everything to have my son make sure he was solid, you know? And, um, and then in 2012, when I was like, kind of reinventing myself, I started uh, going back and then I got into leadership and I went to the, I got to go to the global leadership conference and, um, the, uh, burning man headquarters in San Francisco, which was a huge honor to get to go to that. Cause it's really, you know, it's invite only. And, um, I learned so much just about how to, um, promote, you know, the art community and, and how to, um, mobilize people to, you know, build community like this. So between that and like some of the other, um, festival events that I've been involved in music events from, uh, you know, from age 20 on, you know, so we're like over 25 years, I've been doing stuff like this and doing leadership and participating in things like this and, uh, volunteering and, yeah, bringing immersive art spaces and all this stuff. So I feel really well prepared. I think it's time for me to start doing it with my own flavor, which, and the most important thing to me about these events is the transformation. Um, 
you know, and it doesn't have to be that for everybody. You know, some people there, there's this funny phrase about, um, what is burning man? Is it like a, uh, is it a transformational experience or is it just a wild party in the desert? You know, yes. and it's okay for it to be whatever. <laughs> Everyone gets to choose what they want it to be, you know, but yeah. for me, the, um, the transformation is what is the reason that uh, kept me coming back to events like this and like what's yeah. possible. Yeah. That's, oh man, that's awesome. That really, I, I can't wait to hear more about that because a, a, a an event like that, especially here yeah. in the southeast, it's yeah, we don't we don't have anything like that. <laughs> so we had something a while ago that was my, that I was really inspired by called Connection Campout, and that was um, the last one was in Tennessee, but uh, that's where it was um, held. But I believe that the people that started it were in Asheville, but it hmm. changed me. It was like the best thing that I'd ever been to. Um, I, I went into it, um, dealing with some stuff that had happened recently and I left feeling like healed, like so complete, like it was just so powerful. I felt a lot of times after these events, like I'll like work my butt off trying to like set up a theme camp and, you know, build this whole city and break down and like lead a group and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's a lot of work. And like, I need like a week or two to recover afterwards. I'm just exhausted. I wear myself out, but with connection camp out, um, I felt so incredibly like fulfilled. I felt mm -hmm. like, I felt like I was a better person for having gone to it. Like I left feeling like my cup was full and, um, and while my other events that I do definitely have a lot of satisfaction in them, like I wouldn't keep doing them if they didn't, but it was a different <laughs> feeling of like, um, really receiving, you know, I really received so much through the workshops and the experiences that I had there. Um, so it's like really putting more intention into the transformation possibility. So that's what I'm planning on doing. And I am currently, um, taking applications for, uh, guest speakers. If people want to do, uh, workshops, um, also, uh, musicians and talent and things like that. If people want to do any art spaces and, uh, you know, I'll be doing a lot of like promoting of that and advertising. So it's, um, you know, we'll get a lot of, uh, you know, digital, uh, awareness and, um, accolades and things like that. And so pretty excited about what's possible there. Well, that's awesome. And Holly, how can people reach out to you for any, any of this, for all of this, like socials, where, where should they, where can they find you? The best thing to do is, um, to point people to my link tree. So if we can maybe put that in the notes of the podcast, oh, yeah. that would be the uh, best thing. Yeah. I'll have them in the, uh, the, uh, episode description and yeah because i, I found that using link train is just it's just easier it's, it's <laughs> it a wonderful and like here's all the things like if you're into instagram here's my instagram handle if you're into facebook here's that you know if you want to watch me on youtube if you want to like see me on linkedin you know like yeah. whatever you got the whole thing you know here's my website here's my email you know so um you know there's a, a myriad of different digital platforms that you can interact with me on and i'm, I'm on mighty networks now with um uh, existential kink. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so whatever anybody is, whatever their comfortable platform is, you can call me on the phone, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, just, just reach out and, you know, let's see what we can do. Cause, uh, you know, if, and if people are like watching this, hearing this and feeling a calling, if something is like stirring in your soul, perhaps, um, perhaps you are, you know, tapped into my synchronicities and neural network and you want to, um, you know, receive, healing or receive guidance or, you know, attend one of my events or maybe get in line to buy the book. I don't know. Um, but I'm, I'm out here, uh, just being obedient with what I feel like is my calling and, um, you know, and, and it serves me to help 
others. You know, it really does. It mm. feeds me. It makes me feel full. It helps me to um, fulfill my purpose and to feel satisfied with my life and my um, my calling when uh, when I'm able to help others and make the world a better place with neutral service. Now that I'm codependent, no mo. So, um, yeah, just put that little caveat on there. But yeah, yeah, I'm able to do it in a sustainable way that where I don't feel drained, where I just feel like full. And uh, you know, when I work with my clients, we we both feel like greater than the sum of our parts afterwards. Oh, that is fantastic, uh, Holly. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and telling, I mean, going through everything, everything that you do, it's, it's, first of all, it's inspiring because it shows you that if you just listen, sometimes you listen to that little voice in your head. It's there. Yeah. That that voice is always there, like nudging us onward. And it's like, if you have that little like inkling, you know, so often like we'll hear that little like call or that little invitation or that thought of like, well, maybe I should go over here. Maybe I should look into this. Um, sometimes it'll come, something will come across our feed, like on Facebook. Sometimes it'll be like a, an email. Sometimes it'll be like, you know, a sticker you see like passing through the toll booth or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, our guides are always speaking to us. And that, that's part of what I do too, is the, um, one of my programs is the, uh, invitation to intuition. And, um, it's funny. I was thinking to mention this earlier when you say when you said that you were um, given that camera and how it just opened up this like world for you, this world of possibility and creativity and um, just you know it was one of our first contacts with the um, you know the the Instagram page. You know, mm-hmm. so um, it, you know we're only as good as the tools that we have. And so one of my offers too is uh, helping people to get really clear on their intuition. I believe, yes, I did come from a line of psychics and it is in my DNA, but I also believe that it can be taught just like you can get taught to, you know, be a good athlete. You can get taught to be an artist. You can be taught to, you know, be uh, decent at math. Still struggling on that one. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I really do believe that these things can be taught. And so my, my philosophy is that when we can hear that calling louder, when we can feel those nudges, when we can, um, uh, pick up on those like little like clues, the little breadcrumbs that are left for us along the way. Like we can have such a higher vibrational adventure, you know, and we can like, we can have this life that is like, has so much more magic in it and so much more awareness. And, you know, we can hear the, we can hear the calling and say yes, and then show up for like the party of a lifetime. And that's really like what I want to help people do as well. Uh, that's perfect. That's the, that's the perfect way to end. I mean, you are, here to make sure that people can show up to be their truest and best selves. Yes. So that's, yes. I mean, that's, I mean, that's really what I want to do. And I do want to say that like all of this, like I give all of the, the, the credit to, you know, the infinite incorruptible source, the creator, whatever it is that you believe, like, this isn't about me. Like this is about like me re- reminding people. Cause you, cause everybody knows deep in their heart. They know. They know um, that, you know, you have this divine spark in you and just reminding you to, to, to stoke that, that flame, you know, get that, get those fires going because there's like so much that's possible. If you just really listen to your divine guidance, like there is the information is there. It's just about being able to tune into it and uh, you know, having the, the faith and the courage to do so. Yeah. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Holly. And uh, until next time. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having (laughs) me here. And uh, thank you for all that you do, for all the beauty that you put into the world, you and Nina both, and the the beauty, the art, the fun, the the nonsense, the just sweetness. Thank you so much for everything. Oh, you're very welcome. And, of course, before we do leave, I got to 
show you Phil, of course. Yay, She's just sitting yay. right here. <laughs> yay, I can't wait. Oh, this is so exciting. Oh. You've been staring at me for the last 10 minutes. You've been surprisingly quiet. Oh. I didn't hear any snorts. <laughs> I know. Hi, sweet angel. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Oh. snorting. <laughs> yeah. Tell us all about it. Oh, what a yeah. beautiful. He's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, why? This isn't food. I don't want to do this. <laughs> what a sweetheart. Oh, my goodness. Well, please give her a little treat for me. <laughs> I will. She's ready to go back to sleep as you can. Fucking <laughs> ain't easy, you know? <laughs> yeah, it really is. And the other one's still sleeping down there, too. She's <laughs> oh, so sweet. What a gorgeous little sausage. 